Welcome to Not the Expert, where a man who understands nothing talks with experts who know way more than him. It's your source for sounding smarter than you actually are. Not the Expert Podcast with Sean Hudson. I'm not the expert. You can call me Hudson. I'm joined by Sharon Ritchie. Hi. Sharon, you are the expert when it comes to life as a flight attendant. Obviously, because you are one, you went through the four-week intensive training to become a flight attendant, and you've been a flight attendant on over 100 flights. Yes. We're going to dive into some of the things that goes into being a flight attendant, some things that passengers do that can really annoy a flight attendant, as well as what goes on behind the scenes. But before we get there, if you want to stay up to date with everything Not The Expert podcast, and if you want to join the conversation and maybe be featured on the next episode, head over to Facebook and search Not The Expert podcast and make sure to like the page. A podcast by a man using technology he doesn't understand. not the expert. So Sharon, how does someone get into the flight attendant career? I think it's fair to say that you talk to a lot of little kids. What do you want to be when they grow up? Probably not a lot of them are going to say, I want to be a flight attendant. How do you fall into that career field? I had a friend who was actually a flight attendant for a major airline here in the U.S. And she kind of inspired me. So I started applying I was applying for about a year to different airlines before I finally got a job. I had done interviews and it's very competitive because so many people are applying. And when it comes to airlines, they're looking for a very specific type of person. So it's easy for them to see one thing they don't like and overpass you. Plus there's a lot of steps just to even get to the one-on-one portion of the interview. What are, after you apply, what are some of those steps you talked about that go into becoming a flight attendant in the interview process? So the first step, send in your resume and your cover letter. If they like that, they're going to send you an assessment. It takes about 45 to an hour to do the assessment. If they like your assessment answers, they're going to send you a video interview. So the video interview is super awkward because you're not FaceTiming with someone, you're FaceTiming yourself and it's like 30 seconds on the screen. There'll be a question that pops up and you're looking at yourself on the screen and you have to answer it. And as soon as you're done, it goes to the next one and then automatically sends through. So you need to be confident and prepared for that video interview because that's a big make or break because they want to see how you handle pressure. And then if they like that, they will have you fly out to wherever they want to interview you for and do a one-on-one interview. So it sounds like it's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, Definitely longer than the average hiring process for a lot of other jobs. Oh, absolutely. So once you get past the interview process, what happens next? What is the training like to be, are you certified as a flight attendant? What's that training like and what is the payoff? Once I was hired, I left for training a month later. So they give you a lot of paperwork um, and they, during that time, that month between getting hired and leaving for initial training, they're going to do your background checks, your drug testing. There's tons of different assessments on you to make sure that you are clear to start training for them. And they give you schematics on each aircraft, airline codes, 200 acronyms to remember that you will be tested on like as soon as you get there. So by the time I got to training, it was four weeks long, and it's very, very intense. I actually wasn't 
prepared for how intense it was going to be because I was thinking, oh, it's just a job, it's just training. But it's a lot more than that because when you most people think of a flight attendant, they're picturing them as just an air waitress. But you don't realize how serious their job is because they are there to save your life if something goes wrong. And that is really what training is all about is safety, 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 safety. So training was all day, every day. And we only had three days off in that time. And all day long, you're learning about safety and you're getting tested. And it's just very intense and it's very serious. Like they aren't there to play any games. They will release you. And by releasing, I mean, they essentially fire you and you get sent home that day. If you get below even a 90 on a test, because they consider that a failure, like you're not grasping this important information. So we would do our safety drills, such as we had a mock-up aircraft and we would like that functions like a normal aircraft. And you would go in there and you would go through all your emergency evacuation drills. And they even brought us to a pool and took out a raft and made us do a fake water evacuation to really make sure in an emergency they, they can trust that you understand what you're doing to save lives, which I think is very important. So in the end, if you pass everything, you get certified by the Federal Aviation Association to work on the aircraft. And I have to carry around like my ID everywhere with me that says I'm certified by the FAA to work on this aircraft. That's incredible to me that it really starts before you're even at this training location that you're memorizing acronyms and there's a lot of stuff you're responsible for without a teacher. Yeah. The hardest part about memorizing all that stuff was that this was my first airline. So a lot of that stuff didn't make any sense to me that I was memorizing. And it was almost hard to memorize it because I didn't understand it. So I would go sit at Starbucks every single day so I had no distractions, forcing all of this stuff into my brain. Like I had to memorize every airport code that we fly into and um, different things like um, ACARS, which is aircraft communications and reporting systems that I don't even use. It's for the pilots in the flight deck, but I have to know what these things are. And even the schematics of all of our aircraft, that probably took me the longest to memorize. Right. So you've gone through the training. You've gone through the interview process. Can you take me through, let's say you have an evening flight. What is going on with you? How are you preparing for the flight? What time are you showing up for work? It's a lot of as a passenger, I only see the plane portion, the part I'm on the plane. What is leading up to that flight? For an evening flight, a lot of times it's going to be a red eye. So you're going to rest up most of your day so that you can be awake and alert for this flight. So they're going to want you to be at the gate about 50 minutes before departure. Once you get to the gate and they've deplaned the previous flight, you're going to um, show your badge to make sure that your credentials are good to get on and they're gonna let you on the aircraft. Each flight attendant, depending on what position you're flying, will have a compliance zone. Within your compliance zone, you're gonna have pre-flight checks of emergency equipment in your in your zone, as well as your jump seat, which is the foldable seat that us flight attendants will sit in on the aircraft. So pre-flights usually take a couple of minutes in each compliance zone. You're gonna check the life raft. You're gonna check your jump seat, make sure that your jump seat harness is in good condition and your emergency equipment, such as your flashlight, your emergency medical kit, survival kits, portable oxygen bottles. You're going to make sure everything, even your door, the pressure system, everything is working and everything is in good condition. Once you make sure everything is good, then you are safe to board. People are safe to board the aircraft. And at that point, once everyone boards, 
depending on what position you're flying, you're going to make sure that you're in your correct boarding area. So if you're flying in the back of the plane, for example, you're going to be making the pre-departure announcements, making sure everyone is stowing their items correctly, fastening their seatbelts, getting seated as quickly as possible. If you're flying in the mid-cabin, you're going to make sure you're briefing your exit rows because that is a federal aviation regulation. To brief your exit row, you can actually get fined a lot of money if you're not briefing your exit row to make sure they are willing and able to sit in that exit row in the event of an emergency. Up in the front, front if you're flying, flying as a flight leader, you're going to make sure that the captain is getting all of his correct paperwork in order to close that door and push back to the gate. You're going to be looking at everyone as they're boarding just to make sure you don't see anything that's suspicious. Make sure everyone has things that are legal to be on the aircraft because sometimes people will bring stuff that is supposed to be left down at the bottom of the jet bridge to be put into the belly of the aircraft. They won't realize that the gate agent is saying they'll try bringing it on such as a stroller and you need to make sure that you catch that and you're telling them to leave the bottom of the jet bridge, for example. So everybody has a position they're supposed to be in and a responsibility during boarding. So piggybacking off of that and behind the scenes, now that we've taken off, the plane is in the air. What goes on behind the scenes when the plane is in flight? So you obviously know that we're going to do our cabin service as every airline does. Once we're pretty much done with service, someone is to run trash every 10 minutes. So our aircraft go from three to five flight attendants, depending on which aircraft you're flying on. So say you're on our Airbus A321, which is our largest aircraft. There's five flight attendants working. Half the time you're only going to be running trash like twice because every 10 minutes, depending on how long the flight is, everyone will usually take running trash and then from there you're usually just trying to pass the time a lot of times we'll bring cards we'll bring books I personally I've gotten super into reading since I've started my career as a flight attendant I've been like knocking out books because we obviously have no service up in the air it's like I can sit there and play on my phone so to pass the time I will sit there and I'll read books and that's what a lot of us actually do 99.9% of the time you're working with people you had never met before this trip. So you're usually working with two other people from your base, and then one to two other people are just extra flight attendants that we call chasers, and they can be from any base. They could be from your base or a different base, but we call them galley confessionals. Galleys are basically like the kitchens in the front and the back of the aircraft where we prepare everything and we have all our emergency equipment. Because you're spending potentially one to four days with this person, and you're in a tiny tube and then you're in a hotel, you're always with this person. So we almost call them galley confessionals because it's like a therapy session. You're sitting there and you're like trying to make conversation. You start talking about your personal life and are you dating anybody? Are you doing this? How long have you been working with this airline? And you kind of become quick friends and you almost treat it as a therapy session sometimes if something's bothering you. You probably won't ever see that person again or if you work with them, it's like two, three years later you work with them again. So. That's pretty much what goes on behind the scenes is us really trying to pass the time. <laughs> so now that the plane has landed, what is your job? What is your role once the plane has landed? Because the flight's over, but your job's not over. So first and foremost, we need to disarm our doors for arrival. But once we take off, we have to arm doors for departure. So arming the doors means that you're arming it so that when you open the door in an emergency, a slide will deploy. But you're disarming your doors for arrival because you don't want that slide to deploy because you're safe and you're parked at the gate. Once we disarm our doors, it's really just stamping a smile on your face and telling everybody, have a good, have a good day, welcome to Detroit, welcome to Fort Myers, whichever. Once everybody is off the aircraft, 
you're really just going to either hang out and wait for the gate agent to say, we're ready to board the next flight. Or if you're on your layover, <laughs> we can't get our stuff fast enough and off that plane once everybody's off. A lot of times the pilots will come out and they'll kind of like, we'll all sit in the cabin seats and sort of have like a powwow, I guess you could say, until we board our next flight. But a lot of times there's not a lot of time between flights. We'll get people off, get people right on once the cleaners come off and we're on our way. So we've kind of followed your day, pre-flight, mid-flight, post-flight. We've talked behind the scenes. I'm going to try to not get you too heated up about this, but what are some things, common things, that, that, that passengers do that as a flight attendant, you're like, eyes rolling back in your head, you're like, no way, please don't do that. Here's one thing that all of us, we, I wake up in the middle of the night cringing, just like thinking about it, but please, for the love of God, do not go into our lavatories barefoot. I know it's the summertime and you're wearing sandals and you probably kick them off, but it is so unsanitary. You don't even realize people will be in there and there's turbulence. They might not have the greatest aim and now you're going in there barefoot. I won't get too gross, but it is so, so, so unsanitary. And I, I will actually tell people, like, I think you should put your shoes on before you go in there. That really, really annoys us. Also, when people almost talk back to you when you're just trying to do your job. For example, weight and balance is a real thing. So for takeoff, say it's a pretty empty flight. Say it's a flight that holds 228 passengers, but there's only 70 people booked. They're gonna separate everybody pretty evenly throughout the aircraft, not just put them all in the front. Because for the plane to take off, it needs to be at an equal weight and balance. It can't be top heavy or back heavy. Everyone needs to be evenly distributed. So if during boarding, I see you moving around the aircraft, I will tell you, I do need you to be in your assigned seat for takeoff, but once we're up in the air and the seatbelt sign is turned off and it's safe for you to move about the cabin, you are free to move wherever you want in the aircraft. People will look at me and tell me that I'm lying, they can do what they want. No, trust me, but pilots in the flight deck can see if the plane is in balance and they will tell us they need to move people if we can't take off. So it's really annoying when people very openly think you're trying to bully them or something. I'm just trying to get this plane off the ground. Or even with the seatbelt sign, it's turbulent. Just put your seatbelt on. It doesn't take anything away from your day. Just put your seatbelt on and then go back to sleep. Yeah, and it sounds a lot like, hey, I don't make the rules. I'm just enforcing them. Exactly. And if the FAA, as I was saying before, the Federal Aviation Administration, they do check rides. If they're on board, and they see us not saying something we're supposed to be saying, again, we can get fined for that and potentially lose our jobs depending on what it is. So like I said previously, if you're flying in the mid-cabin, you need to brief your exit rows to make sure they're, they know they're staying in an exit row and that they are willing and able to assist. You can potentially lose your job or get fined for not doing that briefing because it's a federal aviation regulation to do that. Or say somebody has a backpack on their lap for departure, you need to make sure that that backpack is secured underneath the seat or up in a bin because it can block somebody's egress, which means how they get out during an emergency. Nothing can be blocking anyone's way off the aircraft. And that is a big reason why we're so strict on making sure all of your items are secured for departure. And people don't realize that. They'll just put it between their legs. And I, I'm like, you don't realize that the person in the window seat they can trip over that trying to exit this aircraft if there's an emergency or people with cross body bags. 
that also needs to be secured because you cannot take any items off this aircraft. Say you're going down our slides to exit and you have your cross body purse on and it punctures a hole in that slide. That slide doubles as a raft if we have a water landing and now we don't have that raft that holds up to 55 people. So people don't realize that these little things can potentially be life-threatening if it comes to that. And I'm not trying to annoy you. I'm just, I know, I don't want to say I know more than you, but like I do because I work on this aircraft and I know the safety features and you don't. I'm just letting you know. You are the expert, so you do know more than me. Taking it a step further, Sharon, we just talked about common things that passengers do that probably add up and they're annoying, but they're little things. Do you have an appropriate story? Appropriate, I want to emphasize that. Worst passenger experience ever. One person, you're like, listen, never come back. Take your things, get out. I have one, okay, this one's appropriate. So I had this man who, as we're about to take off and turn on the runway, he hits his call bell and he says, can I use the bathroom? And I said, not at this time because we're turning on the runway, but once we're off in the air and we level out, go ahead and use the bathroom. So we take off and the second we go wheels up, which is a very dangerous time, may I say, to stand up because you're on a slant going a couple hundred miles an hour. This man stands up and starts walking back towards the back lavatory. And I'm yelling from my jump seat, sir, you need to sit down. It isn't safe to be up. You need to sit down. And he's yelling, I have to use the bathroom. And he sits down on the floor and he's screaming at me. Now people are turning and looking. You're inhumane. How dare you not let me use the bathroom? But I'm trying to tell him, it's not safe for me to stand up. You're not allowed to stand up. Once we level out, you're more than welcome to use the bathroom, but you need to wait like just a minute, please. Because we did have a flight attendant where they had the same situation and a man stood up and he fell because we're at an angle and he snapped her wrist. So it is not safe to be up. I can't stress that enough. And he's just screaming at me, going off and off. He finally sits down, gets up to use the bathroom where it's safe, sits down again. And then later on the flight, he's smoking in the bathroom and setting off our smoke detectors. It is not safe to smoke in an aircraft. Not only can you start a fire, and we're up at 40,000 feet in the air, but this is all recirculated air. And when you smoke, it's taking away from the oxygen in the aircraft, one. It's thinning it, and other people are getting your secondhand smoke, and it causes an odor which is very displeasant and it just sits there. So he just caused so many problems and you actually, the police can meet you at the gate if you're smoking and you're causing a huge disturbance. So he was probably my most ridiculous passenger because of the way he was acting was so irrational and he just kept getting worse and worse and worse throughout the flight. So out of my appropriate stories, that's probably my most ridiculous appropriate story. That's a good example, especially with the wrist snapping thing. That's a great example of how your actions can be dangerous to other people on the plane. Exactly. Like, when we make our announcements, like, we need, if the seatbelt sign is on, please remain seated with your seatbelt fastened for your safety and for the safety of those around you. That is exactly what I mean. Because she was sitting there. She wasn't getting up, and he fell, and she had her arm out, and he snapped her wrist. She was doing what she was supposed to do, and she still got hurt because this man wasn't following the rules. So let's take a break. I can tell you're getting heated up a little bit. How can I, (laughs) Sharon, how can I be a better passenger then? The way you can be a better passenger is 
first and foremost, to treat us with respect because we are human beings at the end of the day. And I think people forget that. A lot of people get angered by things going on in the airport that have no, have nothing to do with us, let me just say. So say one of our gate agents charges you for a bag and you're really mad at them or they didn't give you the seat assignment you wanted. That has nothing to do with us. We don't work on the ground. We only work in flight and we have no control over your bags or anything else. So don't come on and degrade us as human beings when we did nothing to you. We're just here to serve you and protect you and make sure that you have the best flight experience that you can possibly have. Also, just follow our rules. That's another thing we ask. It's so simple. If we say stay seated, the seatbelt fasten, just stay seated. If we tell you this is X amount of dollars, don't try and argue with us like it's instantly going to come become free because all of a sudden you're upset. That's not how it works. So it's just the little things that can make our experience better as well because we are also on this flight with you and a lot of times we have two to three other flights after your flight with people who will probably act the same way. So if you can make our experience better, we can make your experience better is the gist. So here's the what's in it for me part because I'm a better passenger, right? I know all this knowledge. I'm equipped with it. I got more tools in my toolbox, so to speak. I need you to be honest, 100% transparency. Sharon, how do I get upgraded to first class for free? I'm poor. I can't afford first class. <laughs> so I don't want to say for sure, but if you're nice to us and you ask really nicely and boarding is complete and there's a first class seat open, maybe, just maybe, we'll move you up. You know what I'm trying to say? But I can't say for sure. I'm just saying possibly. So are you saying my best bet is to ask once we're boarded on the plane or is it at the gate? Once we're boarded on the plane because the gate agent will charge you for first class. But if you're really, really, really nice to us and no one's sitting there, we're not going to charge you. We're just going to move you because you're a really nice passenger and you follow the rules. If it's free, Sharon, it's for me. I like the sound of that. <laughs> exactly. So now that I've got all this knowledge, I kind of want to dive into something personal, though, with you. What is life on the road like for a flight attendant? Because the way I look at it, it's almost like a catch-22. You get to see all these amazing cities. You're traveling the country. But at the same time, you are on the road constantly. It can be kind of taxing, I won't lie. It, it can be a lot at but it really depends on the person. When you're applying to be a flight attendant, the one thing I can't stress enough is please understand what you're signing up for because there's plenty of people who after the first couple of months will actually leave because they didn't realize how much they were going to be away. I love it. I love constantly up and moving and being in different places and that's what I knew I was signing up for. For example, there's been months where I've only slept in my own bed six nights out of the whole month because I was working so much and constantly in hotel rooms. And that can be not the best lifestyle for some people. It might not be healthy for some people, especially if you have a family or a serious husband or a boyfriend or something back home that you really, it's so hard for you to be away from them. So that is the one thing I would say might be difficult, but at the same time, it's such an amazing experience. So like I said earlier, a lot of times you're working with people you've never met before. And say you have a long, nice layover somewhere, 
and you guys all want to go out, the weather is nice, happy hour. It's such an amazing experience being able to go out and meet these people from all over the country. I've made an amazing friend at this company from North Dakota. <laughs> I don't know if you know the states at all, but you don't really meet people from North Dakota being from the East Coast, you know? So I love that I can say I have friends everywhere now from this job and working together and just enjoying our time. And you find common ground. It's actually a really amazing experience and I wouldn't want to do anything else. Sharon, we've talked about a lot and you've shed a light on a lot of things that people probably don't know about unless you are a flight attendant, especially that had to get a free upgrade. I'm going to book a flight tonight so I can try that out. But before I go (laughs) and before I go and do that, is there anything you want to add? Is there anything we missed? The only thing I think I would add is that if you are up for it and you think that working in the airline industry sounds up your alley like something you might want to do, it is the best industry to be a part of. And I'm not just saying that because I'm kind of biased because I'm a part of it, but I've never been happier doing anything. Every day feels like a vacation to me. And I get to travel for a living. And I, like I said, I have friends from all over the country. People I would have never met if I hadn't joined this career. Also, I fly for free on almost every airline, which it doesn't hurt to have travel benefits. I would just think about it if it sounds like something you want to do, and I would absolutely apply. I wanted to be a flight attendant for a long time, and the reason I didn't apply sooner was because I always made excuses for myself not to do it. Like, I have a student loan, so I should just stay here and do what I had a student loan for, or I know I'm most likely gonna have to move to another state if I do this, or this, that, the other. And I regret making all those excuses because I could have been doing this a lot sooner. So that's probably the one thing I wanna add is that don't be afraid to apply because there's a lot of reasons not to. And they say, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. That's Sharon Ritchie. She's the expert when it comes to life as a flight attendant. My name's Hudson and I'm not the expert. The views and opinions expressed by guests in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the host and not the expert podcast. 